You're listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. We are in the middle of a four-part message series where we're looking at an amazing offer uh, that Jesus made 2,000 years ago that still stands today. But this offer comes with two important qualifiers. It's only for those of us who are weary and burdened. So we're going to begin just uh, do a quick qualification set of questions. So the first question, of course, is, are you tired? Now, don't, don't say it out loud. Are you tired? Now, just to be clear, Jesus isn't talking primarily about the sleepy kind of tired. He's talking more about what we'd refer to as the internal tired, the soul kind of tired. You know, it's the weariness that comes from, you know, the ongoing failed efforts that we have over the years to maybe change something about ourselves that we really would like to change. Or it's the fatigue that comes from trying to change somebody else that's close to you. Um, It's also the fatigue that sets in to our hearts whenever we hear about yet another ongoing problem in this world that seems like it's impossible to solve. I mean, I, I checked the news briefly this morning, and my experience, whenever I read the news, watch the news, I'm never revived. I, it never adds life to me. It always drains me, kind of sucks the life out of me. So if you're tired, then you've passed qualifier number one. Qualifier number two, next question is, are you burdened? Is there something that is weighing heavy on your heart? I mean, maybe not. Maybe you have more money than you'll ever need, so you have no financial burdens, no financial concerns. Maybe if your parents and your children are still at home, maybe you look at your children and you are absolutely, completely confident that they will grow up to be the men or the women that will please God and society will thank you for bringing into the world. Maybe you're absolutely confident about that. You have no questions, no concern about your kids. Maybe if you're married, maybe your marriage is just all delight and no size. Maybe. Maybe nothing weighs on your heart. But I say that in a way that lets you know that I don't think that's probably true. My guess is that most of us in this room are carrying a burden that weighs us down. So now that we're officially qualified for this amazing offer, let me read it to you again. We read it last week, but let me begin by reading it to you again. This, it's found in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Here's what we read. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, the offer sounds great. Just the promise of rest sounds very appealing. But what practically does it mean? That's what we're looking at in these four weeks. Well, first of all, Jesus was pointing to an image that was very familiar 2,000 years ago when he made this offer. It's the image of two oxen yoked together, uh, either pulling a plow or pulling a cart. And this was, of course, at the time in the ancient world, this was the best way to get work done of really any kind. And what Jesus is saying by this image is he's using this image as a picture of the way we tend to do life, not just agricultural life or farming, but life in general. It's a picture of the fact that we all have a yoke. We all have some kind of set of patterns that we are currently using to handle the pressures and the burdens of life. We already have structure to our lives. And we use that structure, it's like a yoke, we use that structure to carry our responsibilities. And those structures form our yoke 
and those responsibilities form our burdens. And so what Jesus is really offering here is an exchange. We already have yokes, we already have burdens. He's saying, I want you to exchange your yoke for mine and your burdens for mine. It's an exchange offer. Trade in your current yoke for mine, and you'll find that that yoke is easier than yours. And then let me help you get really clear on what you are and what you are not responsible for, and you will find that my burden, by comparison, is much lighter than the burdens that you tend to load up onto your own life. Now, this exchange is not just a decision. It's not just a yes, I'll come to Jesus and accept this. It begins with a decision, but it it can't be transacted completely by a decision. And that's because it's about a yoke. It's a set of patterns. And it takes time and it takes discipline over time to put on the yoke of Jesus, to take our yoke off, to restructure how we do life, how we do our days in the way that Jesus offers to restructure it. And there are going to be new disciplines that we have to engage in that we didn't before. And there's going to be old disciplines and things that we do that we're going to have to abstain from. And in the the two Sundays after this, we're going to consider both categories of this yoke, the disciplines, the structures that are part of this offer. But today, before we do that, I want to look in detail at the two causes behind the weariness that we feel and the heavy burdens that we carry. Basically, why is it that we need this exchange? Why is it that for us, life is so tiring and so heavy? Well, the first reason is our sin. Our sin wears us down. It just affects us this way. It's our sin, and then the sin of others that is what makes life so draining. For example, just in our own, my own marriage, one evening last month, I said something short and harsh to my wife. That was a sin, the way I treated her. That one sin ruined the entire evening. It wasn't refreshing. It wasn't helpful. Just that one sin ruined that evening. In fact, that one sin ended up casting a shadow on my heart and on her heart for the better part of three days. It drained us of life, just that one sin. And you add to that all the other sins that we do over time, and life just is hard and draining because of our sin. So the solution is obvious then, just stop sinning, right? So we can make this message really short, just just stop it. Just stop sinning, right? Well, we've all tried, and I think we've, we've all failed. I mean, not completely, but... When it comes to the eradication of sin in our life, we've all failed. Now, the Apostle Paul, who admittedly is one of the moral giants of human history, he said something that I find to be very encouraging about this. If Paul wrote this about himself, I'm encouraged. Here's what he says in Romans 7, 18 through 19. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. That's been my experience as well. Now, when you look at the beginning, Paul says there's nothing good that lives in me. Now, how can he say that? There's absolutely nothing good that lives in him? That's not 
precisely what he's saying. He goes on to qualify that opening statement. And he uses the two words, that is, to clarify. Here's what I'm really talking about. I'm not saying there's nothing at all. I have no good moral impulses. I never do anything good. He's not saying that. He's saying that is, it makes it clear. He's not talking about his entire life. He's saying that there's something living inside of him called the sinful nature. That's what he's pointing to. He's saying that's something, that's sinful nature, that's, that's the nothing good part of me that's at operation in my life. And it keeps driving me to do what I don't want to do and keeps me from doing the things that I do want to do that are good. It's this sinful nature that's inside of us, Paul says, that's why we keep disappointing ourselves and other people, why we keep doing worse than we intend to do. Paul says, we intend to do good. It's not that we don't want to do good, we do. But then we don't carry it out. And then we say, no, we're, we're not going to do this wrong thing. That, that's it. I'm done with that, whatever it is. And then we just keep on doing it. Why? There's something in us, Paul says, that makes sin natural to us. It makes it a part of our nature. Yes, there's some good, but, but there's this natural bent towards sin that keeps dragging us down. He goes on to say more about it a few verses later, verses 22 through 23. He says, for in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. So we have to put our thinking caps on here. So if, if, you're, if you're daydreaming, join us again. Otherwise, you'll be confused the whole time. I'll let you know when you can start daydreaming again, but this, this is not that time. So there are two laws at work, Paul says. The first law he refers to as the law of God, God's law. Now, what is a law? A law is basically a written description of what is right and what is wrong. So God's law is God's written description of this is what is right and this is what is wrong. Now, for Paul, he didn't just agree with God's law. He says he delighted in God's law. He saw that God's law was the key to a meaningful and fulfilled life. So he had come to the point where he agreed with God's law, what God says is right and wrong. But he says there's this second law <clears throat> that's fighting that law. The second law, he says, is the law of sin. It's, it's the sinful nature that he's been talking about. And it's at work in the members of our body. What he's saying is this other law completely disagrees with God's law. God says this is what is right, and the law of sin says no, the opposite is what is right. And God says, this is what is wrong. And the law of sin says, no, the opposite is what is wrong. So they're, they're very completely diametrically opposed ideas of right and wrong. And that is at work, he says, in the members of his body. And from that base of operation, his body, it, this law of sin, goes to war against our minds, which is where God's law operates from. So this is... This is we're in deep waters here, but this is very important for us to understand. If you understand this, you'll understand your life and the life of the people around you. So let me, let me give you a diagram to help us understand this. We'll just do an outline of the, of the human body. So here's the body. 
and then we'll use our head to represent our minds. Now, this is not completely accurate because our brain is a part of our body, obviously, but we're not talking about our brain, the, the cells. The mind is something that's bigger than our brain. It, it rides on our brain, but it's not just the cells of our brain. Our minds, Paul also refers to it in this verse, as our inner being. It's, it, our minds is the operation center of our inner being, also known as our soul. So that's what we're talking about here. Now, let's be clear as we, we start this. Our bodies are not inherently bad. Our bodies are not bad because they are created by God, which makes them not only good, but amazingly complex and wonderful. So they're not bad. But the problem is our bodies have become the location and the base of operation from which sin operates. So our minds are where we, we think, it's where we feel, it's where we relate to God in our inner being, our soul, the spiritual part of us that we can't see and is bigger than and beyond just the cells of our brain. Now, if we ignore God's law, here's what it looks like with these arrows. Our minds and our bodies are going in the same direction. Because what's located in our bodies is this natural pull, desire to oppose God's law, to sin. And so if we, in our minds, we consider God's law and say, yeah, I don't agree with that. I don't, not only do I not delight in it, I, I despise it, I reject it. Well, then our minds are heading the same direction as our bodies. Our mind does the thinking and the feeling to justify and feel better about the sin that our body already wants to do. They're working together. But if we, like Paul, accept God's law, well, now we've got a war in our hands. Notice the arrows are now heading in a different direction. They're opposite from each other. That's because in our minds, we now agree with God's law. We've done the thinking. We've made the decision. We are going to do life based on what God says is right and wrong, not based on what other people say is right and wrong, or our culture says is right and wrong, or our desires say is right and wrong. We're going we're gonna to accept God's law. But that makes the arrows in opposition. That's because just because our mind agrees with God doesn't mean that our body does. And that's because our body can't be convinced. The body can only be trained. It can't be convinced. And that's because the body is not rational like the mind. The body is, is really a recording. It's an imprint of what we do over time. Your body and my body is, is a record of our collective history as humans and our personal history as individuals. That's recorded in our body. And that history... The history of our bodies revealed two very important facts about our bodies. The first fact is that our, that our bodies have a power to them. Now, I'm not just talking about physical strength. They do have that. But there's something even more powerful about our bodies. 
Earlier in chapter 7 of Romans, these set of verses in verse 15, Paul indicates that sometimes it feels to him like his body is actually running the show. The power of the body is taking over everything. Here's what he says in verse 15. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. He's almost saying, I'm, I don't even understand this. What he's saying is, this is not a rational process that's going on here. I just 10 minutes ago decided I wasn't going to do this, and then now I'm doing it. I don't understand. Why is my body taking over here? So where did this seemingly autonomous power residing in our body come from? It came from how God created us. This is a part of our history that has almost completely been forgotten, but is essential to understand who we are. In the creation story, if you read Genesis 1 through 3, you'll discover that when God created life, he basically just said, let there be life. And there it was. He just spoke it into existence. But as you read the story, when it comes to the creation of human life, the, the story slows down, and we get some details, and it, it's clear that when it comes to the creation of human life, there's something very different going on here. When it comes to humans, he formed the first man from dust, and then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The life of God breathed into us to create the first human. Why? Why this different way of creating life? It's to make the point very clear that this is a different kind of life. Yes, it's similar in some ways. There's going to be similar cell structures, and there's going to be hearts and lungs among the animal kingdom that we share, and vast differences genetically, but there's some similarities. But at a, at a deep core level, there's something fundamentally different about human life. That is, we are made in God's image. He breathed into us his breath of life. And that required a different kind of body than just an animal body. Our bodies were designed by God to be able to know God and relate to Him and choose to love Him. But for that to be possible, our bodies had to be given a certain kind of autonomy. The reason is because love, by its very definition, has to be free and independently chosen. And what that means is we also have the power to reject God. You can't have one side of the choice without having the other side of the choice. So that's why we have a measure of independent power that resides in our bodies. It's localized in and expressed through our bodies. So that's why what we do with our bodies has tremendous power. The weight of every choice that we make with our bodies leaves a, a massive footprint on us. And it's an imprint that with repetition becomes a deep rut. And that's because we haven't just made one or two of the same kinds of choices. We've made thousands of the same kind of choices. And these become patterns that are like the walls of a deep rut that we can't even seem to climb out of sometimes. And so ironically, the result of these, bo these bodies that have the power to be free is that as years go by, we start to no longer feel that free. 
The power resident in the freedom that God placed in our bodies becomes automatic. And so back to the offer that Jesus makes, if we decide to follow him, our bodies still have a history. That decision gives us help, but it doesn't change our past. That's why we need a yoke. That's why we need to be retrained. Our bodies need a structure. We need activities that are different to begin to retrain our bodies. See, I told you this is not a daydreaming message, so hopefully you're still with me. The second thing about our body is our body has a, a past. In other words, we've put some miles on these bodies, and that history has affected each one of us. Where did this other law that's opposed to God's law come from, and why is it hanging out in my body? Why can't I just say, get out of there? Well, back to the creation story. So informative. Remember the tree that's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? This is where the forbidden fruit comes from. It was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, if you eat of that tree, that fruit, you will surely die. It's it's going to kill you, Adam and Eve. Why? It's because good and evil are the opposite of each other. They they destroy each other. They can't live together inside the same body. At least they couldn't originally with Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. But if you've read the story, they didn't die immediately. They died eventually. Why? Why? Because in mercy, God decided to extend a temporary span of life for them and for all of us so that we might have the chance to turn back to him. But in order to keep Adam and Eve from dying instantly, and us also, God had to change their bodies, which changed our bodies. What he did, what God did, is he gave evil a temporary life of its own in our bodies. He did this by allowing the human body to be the place where evil can live for a limited time. The human body then became a temporary host which changed our bodies from eternal bodies to temporary bodies. Now, if you, if you read the story again, when Adam and Eve ate of their fruit, you remember the first thing that they felt? They felt naked. But that's bizarre. Why is that the first thing that they felt? The reason is because sin changed their bodies. We don't know exactly how. We don't have video of this. But it it changed their bodies in such a way where they suddenly realized, hey, I'm not wearing anything. Whereas before that didn't even seem to be a thought. Something changed. And then at that point, their bodies, like all of their descendants now, us as well, their bodies became a war zone between good and evil. See, before this, good and evil couldn't dwell together in the same body. Now they can for a lifespan, and they do for our lifespan. And this is a war, the war now in us between good and evil, this is a war that we can't win. 
I mean, some do better than others. Some just cave in and just go dark completely, and some do a little better. But we, we all struggle with this. None of us can eradicate evil. So God did the unthinkable, the unimaginable. He decided to invade earth himself in one of those bodies, a real human body. And the purpose of that invasion was to defeat evil in our bodies. But that's not something you can do from the outside. That's something you have to do from the inside. So he became one of us. Jesus was his name, and he never sinned in that body. He's the only one in these kinds of bodies to ever go a lifespan without a single sin. It had never been done. It will never be done. Jesus did it. And then he was crucified on a cross in that body. And then he rose from the grave. And you know what happened? A different kind of body walked out of that tomb. That, now we're on the third kind of body, right? The original body before sin, the body we all now live in that's capable of having both good and evil in it, and now what's often referred to in Scripture as the glorified body. It was a prototype, a new kind of life. The first of what is described to be the future of those who follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus Christ, this is the kind of body you're signed up to get after you die. It's a new kind of life, a new kind of body that has a new kind of life. And Jesus called accepting this life being born again because it's as if you get a whole new life. So now what's true of us, if you accept Jesus... Your body, my body, now has two histories. The, the one, the, the first history that occurred out inside the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned and changed our bodies. And then the second one that occurred in the tomb outside of Jerusalem when Jesus launched the first of the glorified bodies. And the question now before we die is which one of those body histories are we going to feed? The old one that's our past or the new one that's our future? So this is what's happened to our bodies. This is why we sin and why we struggle and why we need Jesus and why we're so weary. But sin didn't just have a profound effect on our physical bodies. It also impacted our minds. And that brings us to the second point. Our thoughts weigh us down. So we are wearied by our sin. We are burdened by our thoughts. We all know this. I mean, recently, I had a hard time sleeping. Throughout the night, I would keep waking up. Why? It wasn't a physical problem. I mean, that can't happen. But I was worried about something. It was my mind. I couldn't get my mind to shut off. Life is already hard. It already takes a lot of thought. And if we let our minds run loose, we're just adding weight to our already heavy load. So what is it precisely about our minds? We've talked about our bodies now. Let's talk about our minds. And again, this is just not our brains. That's the field from which it operates. But we're talking about our minds. What is it that adds weight 
that makes it so heavy? Well, there's two things. First of all, our minds are easily deceived. Deception adds weight to us because it gets our minds chasing unreality, chasing shadows. That just wears, weighs us down. Several, several years ago, I was uh, working here uh, at, at Seabreeze alone on a Saturday. And I was working in the office, and I just I heard someone pull into the parking lot. And the reason I heard it, because just loud music blaring out of what turned out to be this truck. And so I kind of peeked out of the window and noticed to my alarm that there was a guy parked in a truck wearing a ski mask. And I thought, what in the world? So my mind immediately went into high gear. Now, the way our minds work is we don't just have random thoughts. We organize our thoughts because we're trying to figure out what's going on in our world. So we organize our thoughts into ideas. Ideas are ways in which we understand what's happening in our world, what the categories are. So I accessed my ideas on the topic of ski masks, and I got two hits. Okay? <laughs> Hit number one is ski masks are used for skiing. Hit number two is ski masks are used for criminal activity. <laughs> now, clearly, he wasn't in our parking lot for the purpose of skiing. So I locked the door, I got my phone out, and I got ready to dial 911 because I had no idea what this guy was doing. And this went on for about 30 minutes, and he just kept sitting in the car, listening to his music, wearing a ski mask. And after 30 minutes, I thought, okay, if he had crime in his mind, he's already lost the element of surprise, right? I mean, who, who pulls up, spends 30 minutes, blast music, hey, everyone, I'm about to do something, get ready. That doesn't make sense. So I decided to investigate, and I thought, well, this, this may be a really bad idea. But I, I, I walked outside, and I walked up to the car, <clears throat> and I just simply said, hey, can I help you? And he looked at me and said, no, can I help you? I thought, oh boy, I'm escalating with ski mask guy now, you know? So, and then I said, well, uh, this is private property, and I was just wondering what you're doing. Now, again, I can't see any facial expressions because, again, he's got a ski mask on. But I saw in his eyes kind of a, a, a moment of awareness. And then he looked at me and goes, oh, is it the ski mask? He's like... Yeah, it's kind of the ski mask. It's totally the ski mask. I wouldn't, do, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't bother if it wasn't for the ski mask. And he says, oh, I completely forgot I had it on. Which I'm like, why? He said it was cold this morning, so I put on a ski mask and decided to drive to church and freak everybody out. He just, I don't know what he was thinking. So I said, so, so what are you doing here? He goes, oh, I'm just playing Pokemon Go. Okay, so I'd never thought of that. I mean, in all of my history of ski masks, I, I never, my mind never connected ski masks to Pokemon Go. I'd never seen it done, never thought of it, never heard of it. And that's, that's the problem with our minds. We can get it wrong, right? We can be wrong because our minds are limited in some ways and unlimited in other ways. Our minds are limited in their knowledge. We can't know everything. 
but they're unlimited in their imaginations. You know, made in the image of God means that our minds are expansive and we can imagine new things that don't exist now. That's why we go to the moon. It was imagined in the human mind and then done. But this expansive power is also why human, the human mind is capable of great deception. We can actually invent new ideas that we now call truth that is in fact not true. And those ideas, if they're not true, they can end up destroying marriages and happiness and even lives. And that's why our minds were created by God to work best under his authority. In his image, in his shadow. He is the filter of ultimate truth. He knows what is true. And if we follow and submit our mind to his, it gives us the protection we need from believing lies and adding pain into our lives and into this world. But the second reason our thoughts weigh us down is our minds are also regularly obsessed. Our minds not only form ideas that deceive us, they evoke feelings that can dominate us. You know, I didn't just have thoughts about ski masks on that Saturday. I had feelings about ski masks. I felt fear. The power to think is what leaves us open to deception. The power that God's given us to feel is what leaves us open to obsession. It's described in Ephesians 4.19. It says, Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Sin occurs in part when our emotions move from the secondary position God created them for into the primary position. That's the difference between these two words, sensitivity and sensuality. They both have the same root, sense. We're trying to sense something. With sensitivity, the senses are secondary to reality. They are caused by what is real. Reality is primary. It's the cause of what the senses perceive. In other words, the senses, when you're sensitive, the senses are pointed outward. You're trying to perceive what is really going on out here. But with sensuality, it's the polarity of sense is switched. The senses now become primary, and reality itself becomes secondary. The senses are not pointed outward trying to sense what is real. They're now pointed inward because with sensuality, the primary goal is to feel better. Now reality must conform to what I feel. This is, this is where we're at now as a culture. How someone feels is more important than anything else. Not who they really are, who God really is, but how they feel. That's now primary. Now, you can't do that with physical reality. I mean, just try driving on the side of the road that you feel like driving on on your way home today. That's not going to work because reality will inform you of your wrong sensing. But when it comes to moral reality, the effects of getting it wrong in the area of morals are not immediately devastating. The pain will come, but it, it can take years, sometimes a lifetime. So without God as the external reference point to guide our emotions, we opt for sensuality and we let our emotions lead us. What happens next, as it says back in this verse? We don't just dabble in sensuality, we indulge 
and every kind of impurity with a continual, we, we indulge in it, it just becomes this rabbit hole of downward spiral. So what have we talked about? God gave us amazing bodies and amazing minds that are capable of partnering with him in this world. Not just as minions, but as creators, co-creators and managers with him. That's why our bodies and our minds have such amazing power. But the very things that define us as humans have become the things that we are incapable of managing on our own. The reason is that we were only designed to manage ourselves in the shadow of God, in his image. Our bodies and our minds are too much for us. And so Jesus came to restore this partnership, to bring our bodies and our minds under his management. He called this eternal life. Not just forever with him, but attached to his life now. And that occurs when we decide to follow Jesus. The challenge is we've been under our own management for a long time. We've run our own bodies and let our minds run our own thoughts. And therefore, the patterns that are resident in our bodies and our minds don't just change because we've decided to follow Jesus. You can bombard them with strong intentions and deep emotions, but without training and structure, they will not budge. So the spiritual disciplines that we're going to be considering in the next two weeks form the key components of training both our minds and our bodies. These are the routines that revive us. This is the yoke that is easier. So I hope you can join us for the next two weeks as we, we look at this. Let's pray together. Father, we, we all know by experience what it is to be weary and burdened. What we don't know without instruction from you is why we are so weary and why we are so burdened and why life is so hard and why we so easily find ourselves just in the ditch, stuck and spiraling. Jesus, I thank you for taking on a body like ours so that we can have a different future in this body than the one that we've chosen. I pray that you'd help us as we follow you, and particularly as we look at how to begin to take on this yoke in the next two weeks. We pray this now in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church podcast.